0: Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. As you're turning the I do want to remind you again, uh, this time of the semester, great opportunity get plugged into uh, a group of fellow believers. Study the word, whether you're doing that, uh, growth groups or do loss. If you're a college student, home church groups, men's and women's Bible studies. Uh, essentials is a great opportunity if you feel like you're not really grounded in your faith, you're not sure where do you start, how do you walk with the Lord, or maybe you know how to do that, but you want to learn how to pass that on to others, I encourage you to sign up for the Essentials class, we've got a couple of those going on Sunday mornings, great opportunity. All right, Galatians, we are going to get started on the book this morning, I'm going to read the first ten verses together. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I this week, trying to figure out how do I uh, open the book of Galatians? How can I illustrate what Galatians is really all about? And I began to think about my own family. Uh, I have an older sister. Uh, I'm the baby, just two of us. So I have an older sister, and then there's me. And my older sister, we're four years apart. Uh, has always looked out for me. She's always wanted to take care of me, even when I was uh, just a baby. When I was born, my parents tell me that she would lean over my crib and she would share the gospel with me. And uh, she would share the gospel and she would go and ask my parents, is he Christian yet? Is Brian a Christian yet? And they say, no, he's not a Christian because he can't talk. But, you know, you just keep working on it. So she would just share the gospel over and over and over again. So it was a great day when I finally uh, relented and gave in to my sister and I believed in the gospel. So now I'm a Christian. And uh, now my sister looks out for me, and one of the ways that she does that is that she gives gifts. My sister is probably the most generous person I know. When birthdays come around, she gives uh, great gifts, really cool gifts, very expensive gifts. She gives lots of gifts, and they're really, really nicely wrapped. It's like a, it's a presentation of presents, right? I mean, it's, it's really a production. It's amazing. And the thing is, with my sister, it's not just birthdays or Christmas. Now that we have children... When Valentine's Day rolls around, we get a knock on the door of the UPS man and we have a box of gifts for our kids for Valentine's Day. And then we have a box of gifts for St. Patrick's Day. And... Then we have a box of gifts for Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day, and I'm waiting for Flag Day and Columbus Day, and we're probably going to get a box of gifts, and it's good stuff. It's cool stuff. That's how she gives. But I'll tell you, sometimes when Christmas rolls around and all this stuff is coming at us, my wife and I feel a little bit guilty when we're just handing out our gift cards, right? Because we're not, we're just, that's that's not our love language, you know, that's kind of our rationalization for it. We just... It's not a big deal to us. If we find a gift that we go, okay, that's the perfect gift for somebody, then we'll buy it. We don't really care what it costs. But we're just not always thinking about giving gifts. And so my sister brings all this stuff and I feel like maybe I should get out my checkbook. You know, I feel like I should do something to pay back for what I'm receiving. Now I thought that is a good illustration of what's happening in the book of Galatians. About 2,000 years ago, God decided that now's the time to give humanity the gift they most need. And he gave us Jesus. He gave us the life of his only son, the one gift that we needed most, that would remove the debt of our sins and put us in an eternally right relationship with him. And all we have to do is say, Thank you. We don't have to get out our checkbooks. We don't have to do lots of good works. And a matter of fact, there is nothing that we can do. You know, my sister is not looking for us to give back. She's not looking for us to write a check. We can't. We can't keep up. And God is not looking at us saying, now that I've given you my son, I expect you to pay me back because we can't. We can't. But you know, there's something inside of us that feels like, gosh, we should do something that makes us worthy of receiving such a gift. Don't you feel that way? Why would God bother? Why, why, how could he love me that much? Surely there's something I must give back. And the answer is no, there's absolutely nothing. He just says, please receive the gift and be grateful. Now that is the struggle that faced the early church. It's a struggle faced by not just people who can't accept the gift right now, but even Christians, we wrestle with that issue. That was the theological battle of the early church. What exactly is the gospel? And is it actually free or do we need to add some works to it? Paul wrote Galatians to help the early church answer that question. So as we get into Paul's answer to that really fundamental question, what is the gospel? I want us to step back and do a little background. First, who's the author? Paul, real obvious, right? Paul's the author. That hasn't been debated uh, since people have begun studying the Bible, uh, even through the 19th century critical period. Paul, he's the author. We're going to look at Paul's life personally next week a little more closely. We're going to see what God did in Paul's life and how God's grace was evidenced in Paul's life. Moving on, the audience, churches in Galatia. There is some debate about this. Where are these churches in Galatia? Are they in the north part of Galatia or the south part of Galatia and it affects the date? We're not going to really get into that discussion. I'm just going to tell you what I think. And I think I'm right. Okay, so, um, I think it's in the south part. Okay? Churches in Galatia is in the southern part. I think that Paul founded these churches on his first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14. So if you've got maps in the back of your Bible, it's roughly this area. This large area here in Asia Minor is Galatia. Galatia was populated by a lot of different races, but it takes its name from a particular people. They were originally settled in the Danube River Basin, Central Europe, but they migrated. They were a migrating people. They went into France, and they were called the Gauls. They went into Britain, and they were called the Celts or the Celtic people. And then finally, they migrated into Asia Minor, and this region was named after them. It's Galatia. So Paul took his first missionary journey. He went through the island of Cyprus, and then he landed in the Galatian region. So he planted churches in Perga and Antioch of uh, Pisidia and then Iconium, Lystra, Derby, traced his way back through and this is when those churches were planted. So what that means for us is that Paul wrote this book about 49 AD. This is probably the first book of the New Testament that was ever written. Okay, it's probably the first book. Now that's really significant because a lot of stuff is going on. Okay, try and Try and get yourself back in that early mindset. Jesus just rose from the dead about 15 years ago. And so the church is still just, they're trying to figure things out. They're, they're figuring out their, their doctrine, they're figuring out their relationships, they're figuring out how they should grow this thing. The only scripture they have is the Old Testament. That's it. The first letter that's been written is this one. Okay, now, messages have been given and apostles have preached, but they don't have any other New Testament scripture. So they're wrestling through doctrinal issues. Time of rapid chain, Change a lot of doctrinal uncertainty. In particular, should Gentiles be included? We say to ourselves, well, they had the Great Commission. Weren't they listening? Yeah, but, you know, it, it just took them time to figure this out because this whole thing had been Jewish, right? And if you wanted to participate in what God was doing on the earth, what did you need to do? Well, you need to basically drop all of your Gentile ways and behave like a Jew and worship like a Jew. And you needed to come to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. And sure, they understood Jesus had said, take the gospel to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, but it would just it didn't really sink in. A great illustration of this is in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, this happens uh, even several years before Paul begins to preach. Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. Now let's look in verse 9. Says on the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, but he became hungry, and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were all kinds of four footed animals in it, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him Get up, Peter, kill, eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times because Peter just couldn't get it. Immediately, the object was taken up into the sky. What's the point of the illustration? Well, Peter's never eaten anything unholy. Peter has lived his entire life under the law. Never, never eaten unholy things. He has tried to obey the law. Peter's a Christian. He's been a Christian now Uh, 12, 13 years. Jesus has died, been buried, risen, appeared to Peter, given Peter the great commission. Does Peter need to keep living under the law? No. Has Peter figured that out yet? No, he hasn't. Okay, let's give him a break. He, He doesn't get it yet. So he gets this vision, and the vision is designed to help him understand God wants to include the Gentiles, and it's been about 12 years now, Peter. Let's get on the stick. Okay, let's get the gospel out. To all nations. So a group of people come to him who are Gentiles and they say, God gave us a vision too. And it said, go find this man named Peter and tell him to come and bring you the message. He goes, and you're Gentiles? Okay. So he goes to them. Look in verse 23. Peter invites them in. He gives them lodging for the evening. The next day he got up and he went away with them. Some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius... Cornelius is the Gentile who's the leader of the household. It says, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius knows the vision's about to be fulfilled. God's going to send the man, give us this message. He gets everyone together because he's so eager to hear it. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Is that appropriate? Well, no, Cornelius doesn't get it yet either. Peter knows that's not appropriate. It says, Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and he found many people assembled. And this is how he begins his sermon to them. He said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit him. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. <laughs> you see, I think that's funny. You know, do you see what's happening here? Peter walks in, this is how he begins his message. He goes, You know, I'm a Jew. And you're a Gentile. And really, for me to even be coming into your house is making me unclean, like you, because you're unclean. It'd be like me saying, Joel, you're Indian, and I'm a white American. You feel a uncomfortable with me even saying it, don't you? Oh, you know. And, you know, for me to even come into your house, Joel, and to share a meal and to talk to you in your house, that makes me unclean. But, you know, I've got to be here. God told me to be here, so I guess I'll have to do it. And I'll go ahead and tell you the message. <laughs> so winsome, right? I mean, he's just drawing them in. Oh, thank God he sent Peter. He sent somebody else. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's the, it, this is it. This is the setting. They just don't get it yet. But Peter comes in. He presents the gospel to them. They believe in Jesus. And God begins to gather Gentiles into his new work on earth, which is the church. But they still don't understand that now Jews and Gentiles are actually going to be equal in the church. No, we're letting the Gentiles in, but they're here, right? And so the assumption was that faith in Christ was required. It was necessary, but it wasn't sufficient. All the Jewish believers, and they're the core, they're the nucleus, right? They're the beginning point of the church, and they're still obeying the law. They just assume that Gentiles need to obey the law as well. That's just kind of the assumption. Then, this crazy man named Paul comes along. He used to be a Pharisee, and he actually persecuted the church. He actually killed some of our friends and our family. And he's going around, and he's saying, no, you don't have to obey the law. It's faith alone in Christ alone. That is radical. Okay, that is totally changing the direction of the church. This is new stuff. And so what happens is there are other missionaries besides Paul, and they begin to follow Paul around. He finishes planting a church in one city. They go to that city, and they say, what he's telling you, it's not the whole story. And then they go to the next city and say, it's not the whole story. And they're going around, they're contradicting everything that Paul is saying. No, it's not faith alone and Christ alone. It's faith and obedience to the law. And Paul really knows the whole story, but he's lying to you. And the reason he's lying to you is because he he wants to gather in worshipers or he wants to gather in followers for himself. He's trying to create this following for himself so he doesn't want to tell you the whole story because the law is hard and you need to keep the law too. And Paul hears that they're doing this and he says, no, they're the ones who are lying to you. Yeah, I'm telling you the entire truth. They're lying to you because they want a following for themselves and they want to take away the stumbling block of the cross. Because they think if they add works to Jesus, that that'll be more acceptable to people. Because that's the way that the religions of the world work. They work through works. It's what you can do to earn your way back to God. And they think, yeah, you know, particularly our our Jewish friends and relatives aren't going to put us off so much if we keep doing works of the law. We continue in Judaism. And Paul says, they're lying to you. And Paul reacts and he reacts really strongly. I want you to look with me again back in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Who are these people? Who are these people who are chasing Paul around and contradicting him? Who are his opponents? Well, Uh, They're Jewish believers. Acts chapter 15 has a description of them. It says, Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Notice again, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed. What did they believe? They believed in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. These are men who are from the mother church. They're from Jerusalem. They went out from James. It says, They're from the main church, the main body. They are part of the church. They believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So you say to yourself, what's the big deal then? Aren't they all believing the same? And Paul says, no, they are absolutely not believing the same. They believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, but they're adding to the work of Christ. And it's not Christ plus anything. It's just Christ, just Christ's work. And so Paul, boy, he just comes out of his skin. Let's read this again. I want you to feel the full impact of this. Verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See what Paul saying? Saying, do I sound like I'm trying to make friends? Because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, let him be accursed. Remember, when you read Paul's letters, he usually starts out with this commendation Boy, you are doing great in this. You know, you've got faith, hope, and love. And let me pray for you because I see the gospel increasing in you. And this group, he doesn't say that. He just says, I am stunned at your foolish decisions. And then he goes, bam, bam, bam. Let him be accursed. Wow, that's heavy stuff. What is he saying? Is Paul saying, go to hell? No, he's not. But he's still saying something pretty harsh. There's an Old Testament background to this word anathema. Remember when Joshua is going into the promised land, he's told some things are, are Korban, they're, they're set apart for destruction. Okay, that's where the, this word comes from, same idea. What Paul is saying is, God, take him out. Okay, God, put him to death. Why? Why such a strong reaction? Why is he so angry? A few years ago, uh, Trissy and I got an opportunity to go to Israel. Wonderful trip. If you ever can save your pennies and dimes and nickels and Thousands of dollars, <laughs> boy! It's a great man. It's a it's so it's so enriching and so illuminating. Um, but I remember the day we we're going to Bethlehem. We're so excited. Go to Bethlehem. See where Jesus is born. Really pumped about that. And you know, it's very commercialized. It's kind of you know, just there's vendors all over the place, and they've got olive wood carvings of everything. You know, camels and baby Jesus, and you know, buy baby Jesus and olive wood. And you know, it's just uh, it's kind of a bummer. We we're walking along the street, going into the. Church of the Nativity, where they say, this is where Jesus is born, which, who knows? But we've got to go see it anyway, right? And it's a big and ornate church and everything. We walk along the way, and the street vendor uh, comes up and starts trying to sell us stuff. Right? And he's getting real aggressive. you know. And he's just—he's getting closer and closer, and he's yelling and screaming, you know, buy this stuff, buy this stuff. And he's like, he's right in our face. Buy. And then he turns, and he's right in my wife's face, like this. Oh, man, Papa Bear came out the cave, you know? And I'm like... Oh man, you know, and so I just stepped right in between. I'm like, "Mm, you know, I may be skinny, but I'm mean. Like, when I'm, you don't mess, that's my most precious possession there, you know, and he'd, whoa man, then he realized he starts backing off, and then he, he stands over here and starts yelling at us. But he didn't get close again because that belongs to me, right? And I love that woman, and you're not gonna mess with that woman. And I was angry. Because she's so precious to me. Paul is angry. Don't, don't miss the fact. Paul is really, really angry because he thinks that the very gospel is at stake. And the gospel is the one way that people can be reconciled to God. God. And they are alienated right now. And if they remain alienated, they will be forever separated from God. They will spend eternity apart from God. But Jesus has fixed that. And now these people are keeping others away from Jesus. And Paul is so angry. He says, let them be accursed. God, please, would you just take them out so that they stop messing up the gospel? The gospel is that important. Okay, it is that important. It is the only message whereby we can be saved. That's it. Okay, and it's exclusive, and that is offensive. And Paul says, "Do I sound like I'm trying to make friends?" No. Huh. And you, and you need to have you need to have people who dislike you. Okay, not because you're proud or you're arrogant or you're condescending. Not because you're ungracious in your attitude, not because you're disrespectful and won't listen, or you're uncaring and won't serve, but if they're going to reject you and be angry at you and hate you, let it be for one reason, one reason only, it's because you stand for Jesus Christ. And you say, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. And you can give up all kinds of other things. And, And In fact, Paul will say in other places, you should give up basically everything else. Give up all your rights sacrifice your rights. Jesus would say, somebody wants your, your shirt, give them your cloak too. Just give it all away. Paul would say also, somebody sues you and they're in the body of Christ. Well, you know, just let them, it's just money. But don't do damage to the reputation of Christ. Don't give ground on Christ. Don't give an inch on Christ. It's just Christ. Christ only. So Paul is so angry because they are messing with and distorting the gospel of Christ. Let me give you three ways that they're doing it. First, they're diminishing The work of Christ. Look back with me again in chapter 1. Verse 6. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What saves you, men and women, and what saves me is the work of Christ. Now notice. Notice. Your faith doesn't save you. God's work through Christ saves you. Your good works don't save you. God's work through Christ saves you. Just the work of Christ, and his work is complete. It's full, and it's final, it's done. He doesn't need you to add anything to it. It's not the work of Christ and works that I can do, and that's what these folks are doing. They're saying the work of Christ is good and it's necessary, believe in it, but it's not sufficient in and of itself. And Paul says it's absolutely sufficient, all on its own, just the work of Christ. He, he paid all debts on the cross, just the work of Christ. Let me give you four characteristics of Christ's work. Verse four says he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself. It's voluntary. Jesus would say, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it up again. Jesus chose to go to the cross. It was a voluntary gift. He wanted to give it. Second, he gave himself. The gift is costly. We don't don't teach cheap grace. God's grace to us in Jesus Christ was extremely costly. It was the greatest cost. In the entire universe, it's the thing of most value. The relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit unified for all of eternity past. And Jesus said, I'm going to take on human flesh and I'm going to live as human. I'm going to be thirsty and hungry and I'm going to experience pain. I'm going to experience... Spikes driven through my wrists and my feet and a spear into my side. I'm going to experience pain. And more than that, I'm going to allow myself to be separated from that perfect union. So hanging on the cross, Jesus would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? It was extremely costly, but it's free to us. Because Jesus paid it all. It's costly. He gave himself For our sins or on behalf of our sins in place of our sins it's a substitute God is absolutely holy and so when he looks upon any sin he must judge that sin but since he has judged it in Christ he can stand as the substitute payment for your life but the wages of sin is death meaning eternal separation from God Jesus Christ has paid the wages of sin in his death as a substitute for us why so that he might rescue us out of this present evil age. That's the purpose of it. To rescue us. This world is not all that there is. One of the reasons we just don't love the gospel so much is because we really like this world okay. And we're not really seeing how incredibly and deeply broken it is. It needs the return of Jesus Christ to set all things right and The death of Jesus Christ was the beginning point, and it was the basis for eventually setting all things right, all of creation, all relationships, man to God, man to one another, man to creation, putting everything right. We need to be rescued out of this age. It is broken. And men and women, people who who live in America in particular, we just love this age a little too much, and we're too comfortable with it, and that's why we don't love the gospel so much. Because we're not looking around seeing how this place is broken. It's broken. And right now, you need to be out there sharing the gospel with broken people living in a broken age so that they can have hope that someday they'll live in an age where it's whole. And we're not battling with ourselves and our flesh and the world and the devil and sin any longer, but we're whole. We're right with God and we're right with one another. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ fixes that. And so, it's just the work of Christ. Second. They're distorting the response of faith. It's faith through which we receive it. It's the work of God that puts you in right relationship with God and right relationship with other believers, and that is received through faith. You just reach out and say, thank you. I'm convinced. I believe. God, I I trust you. We receive it just through faith. Verses 6 and 7 again. I am amazed That you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another. Paul says a different gospel. He uses, interestingly, two different words for different there. The first word is heteros, meaning another one of a different kind. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you for a different gospel. A gospel of another kind, which is really not another of the same kind. It's a completely different gospel. The content of the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a substitute payment for your sin. Confirmation through the resurrection that God raised him from the dead. The response to the gospel is faith and it is faith alone. But they're saying, no, it's faith and obedience to the law. So they're distorting the response of faith. How do you receive this gift? Just through faith. They're dividing the family of God Okay, there are some who are disturbing you. Literally, they're stirring you up. And the image is of, of water that's being churned. Okay? And all the sediment from the bottom is being churned up. The, the image that comes to my mind is the bad shepherds who bring their sheep to water and they let their own sheep drink and then they run their sheep through the water and stir up all the sediment so that other shepherds can't bring their sheep in and drink the water. You're being disturbed. You're being churned up. Because some of you are being told you haven't done enough to be in right relationship with God. You've still got issues. So, you, this group over here, you're messed up. You're not unconditionally loved by God through Jesus Christ. This group over here, you're okay because you're Jewish. Just because your race is different and you're obeying the law, you're okay. But the difference between you two groups is so great that it's not appropriate for you to be sitting at the same table and sharing a meal and reaching across and breaking the same bread and saying, the body of Christ given to you. You can't reach across the aisle and do that. You can't share the same cup and say, the same blood was shed for each of us. There's a separation, there's a division in the body of Christ. Why? Because of race? And because some of you are doing enough to earn God's favor and some of you are not doing enough to earn God's favor. How incredibly powerful and freeing it is to know Christ has done enough to earn God's favor toward you. Right now, right where you stand, you cannot do anything to gain a greater status in the eyes of God. You are accepted in Jesus Christ. But what's happening In the Galatian churches, and there's more than one spread out, is these teachers have come in and they're destroying the unity of the body of Christ. Galatians is actually a book about the church. And a lot of times we think of Galatians as a book on justification by faith. No, Galatians is about the church and it's for the church because the church unified in Christ is a powerful witness to the world. And the solution for this division is that you are made right with God through Jesus Christ by faith and you're made right with one another by God's work through Jesus Christ, received by faith. And that unifies us with one another. And the church today, badly, badly needs to hear that message. It's not having like interests. It's not being of the same race. It's not having the same socioeconomic status that unifies us together. It's just the work of Christ. We believe. Do you believe? Amen? Just the work of Christ. So they're coming in and they're destroying the body of Christ. So Paul says, let's get the gospel right. Let me give you three things that put the gospel right for us. First, it's the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone. Okay, Not your works added to it, but just what Jesus Christ has done. Second, it's received through the grace of God. Uh, You don't deserve this gift. So, don't try and pull out your checkbook. Don't try and pull out your, your, your good works book uh, and say, I'm a little better than the other person, I deserve it. It's the grace of God. Remember, grace means God's undeserved favor toward you and that is given to you in Jesus Christ. And it's given to you in Jesus Christ in the work that he has accomplished fully and finally, completely, forever. Now, this does not mean that Paul has no concern about good works. Galatians is not a book where Paul is looking out at the churches and he's saying, churches, believers in Jesus Christ, stop doing good works. That's <laughs> not what legalism is. Illegalism, holiness and obedience are not legalism. Okay? I want, want you to make sure you're clear on that. Paul is not saying, stop all those good works, please. Paul is saying is, works that you can do on your own that you think merit a relationship with God or standing with God, God has absolutely no interest in. Well, the work that God cares about is the work of Christ. And when you receive the work of Christ, one of the things that that accomplishes in you is that enables God to implant his spirit in you. And once his spirit is implanted in you, then God begins to produce good works out through you which unify the body of Christ. Preview. Okay, look over in Gal- Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. And how do we get the Spirit? Well, as we're going to see in Galatians 3 and 4, it's the gift of the new covenant, which answers the Abrahamic promises, which were for a blessing to go to all nations. And that part of that blessing is that now God once again comes and dwells inside of men and women. So, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit now dwelling in you, How is it manifested? Well, in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. See Paul's sense of humor again? (laughs) He says, against such things there is no law. I'm not outlawing good works, got it? That's not what he's saying. But the kind of good works that God loves are the kind that his spirit produces through you which are deep and genuine. Actually, you're actually kind. You're not just pretending to be nice. But you're kind, and you're gentle, and you're patient. And because the Spirit has produced it through you, God gets all of the credit. God wants to produce those through you. And those are based upon receiving the work of Christ through faith. And you don't deserve it. But you got it. It's a free gift. So that's the last point. It's through faith alone. Okay? Through faith alone. It is genuinely just a free gift. Okay? That's the gospel. Hey, that's the gospel. I want to give you a couple of things to think about this week by way of application. First, have you ever understood and believed the one true gospel? Have you ever really understood that Christ's work is full and final and complete and your responsibility is just to respond? Because I'll tell you, there are a lot of churches in the world where you can go week after week after week and it's so cloudy, it's so muddled, it's so difficult to get just that very simple, plain message. And maybe you've lived your whole life in a church like that. Have you ever understood just the simple gospel, Jesus died for you in place of your sins and you need to be rescued? Because your sin separates you from God. But Jesus removed that barrier of separation. Have you ever understood that Jesus did that for you? God raised him from the dead, confirming God saying, I'm going to raise Jesus because that sacrifice of Jesus, it's enough for all sins, for all people, for all times. And all that you have to do is just believe that Jesus died for your sins. Have you ever responded in faith and said, thank you, God, I believe. If you haven't this morning, don't leave here before you just quickly speak to God and he hears all of your thoughts. You don't even have to say it out loud. You don't even have to close your eyes or bow your head. You just say in your heart, God, I believe, okay? Second, can you share the gospel clearly? I'm begging you, Grace Bible Church, figure out how to say the gospel without making it really unclear. Okay, if you get an opportunity to back up the truck, and to dump the load of the gospel, and you, you know, it's a 30-second opportunity, whether you're sitting on a plane, or you're doing whatever, can you get right to the point, and somebody walks away from that conversation, and they know, this is what I need to do to believe in Jesus Christ, have my debt removed, and have an eternally right relationship with God. Do you know how to say the words of the gospel clearly, concisely? Please memorize them, know them. Because God will give you opportunities. He's waiting for you to get yourself equipped and prepared and trained so that you can step into that conversation and boom, you've got it right. I'm a sinner separated from God. But Jesus Christ removed the debt of my sin. I can't earn that. But I can receive it through faith the moment that I believe. So all that I have to do is say, God, thank you for having Jesus die in place of my sins so that I can believe and have eternal life. That took me about 10 seconds. Okay. As believers in Jesus Christ, you need to know how to share the gospel. I just love it when somebody comes in; they want to do an interview for baptism. I say, "Tell me your testimony," and they just clearly say the gospel. Man, I just I jump up and down. Like, yeah, man, I just I get so excited. It's awesome. You want to go on a missions trip? I say, "Oh, tell me your testimony," and they just boom. How would you share the gospel? Boom. They're right to the point. And on the other hand, sometimes folks come in, and you know, thirty minutes later, I'm like, "What are you talking about?" What are you talking about? We need to be equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and get right to the point. Now, do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you ache at all for the people around you, your family and your friends who don't know Jesus Christ? You know, I can't make you love the gospel and I can't make you love those people around you. But if you, if you want to, if there's something inside you that says, well, I want to love them, and I want to care about the gospel this much, and I want to care more about the gospel than I do about this world, then right now where you're sitting, you can say, God, stir it up in me. Okay, that's just a work of the Spirit. So as we close, I want us to all go before the Lord and say, God, help us to love the things that really matter, and really the thing that matters the most, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just take a few moments before the Lord and ask Him to move in our hearts. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we can't even make ourselves truly and, and genuinely, deeply love those who don't know your son Jesus. But you can. That is part of the, the fruit or the overflow of your spirit working in us. And so I pray for each of us. I pray, especially for myself, I pray for this body of believers that we would experience, even beginning this morning, a new depth of, of love and concern and pain over those who don't know your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your spirit would, would move in, in a way that is supernatural, that's powerful beyond anything that we can explain, but we'd walk out of here saying, yeah, it's, it's the gospel, I want to live for the gospel, I want to live for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would give to this church a harvest that is, it's, it's large, it's rich, it's uh, folks who, who don't know your son, Jesus. This semester, they would hear from our lips the message of hope and they would believe in Jesus and they would come in. Father, give us these people that you love, created in your image, that your son, Jesus, died for. Father, we pray for a very special moving of your spirit. And we thank you this morning for Jesus. We love him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.